Richard, Sicily, 
I definitely right, got sorry. you with him. Sorry. <laughs> it's just so amazing me. He's like, I got, you know, only had to give birth once, but I got, you know, both in there. So it's good. Okay, folks, we're going to get back into our episode. Uh, we are going to continue with John Wilkes Booth. And uh, we're going to pick it up from where we left off last week. With So, as the Civil War continued, John's sympathy for the Confederacy deepened. It has been believed that John developed his feelings for the South during his time at the Milton Academy, where John was exposed to the thoughts, to those thoughts, by the sons of the planters he schooled with. With his southern leanings, this caused a problem with the rest of his family who supported the Federal Army, especially his older brother Edwin. John would visit their mother, who lived with Edwin, where arguments began between the two would erupt, with Edwin kicking his brother out many times. And when the war began, John promised his mother he would not join the Confederate Army. So to help with the cause, John used his fame as an actor to smuggle much-needed medicine across the lines to Confederate couriers who would take them to the Confederate Army. John had often traveled to Canada where he met with the Confederate Secret Service. There has been no documentation found to suggest that he was ever a full agent. John would use... more the proof then, though? Well, in... Would the no proof be proof that he was a full one? Just... Right. Well, I I was typing this quick the other day. Okay. Um, yeah. I just I thought just thought that was you know funny. Right. That's why you it's know, a secret. You know, that's why first, it's a secret service. Right. Well, there was a Confederate secret service. They were like across the New York border in Canada. I forget what city. I want to say Quebec, but I could be wrong. And he would meet. Them. Obviously, they did. Their job with protecting their president. Actually, they were trying to trying to develop plans for a raid in upstate New York. While so, also protecting their, no, their guy. So. No. Uh, Jefferson Davis had no Secret Service agents guarding him. This is like the Lego and Titanic Ocean Gate. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Go whoosh stuff. <laughs> okay, so continue. But um, there was a guy. The first time I went to, to Ford's Theater in D.C., there was a a National Park Service guy there who said who who gave his you know gave his little tour there. Uh, you know, like the one we saw, but we were up in the balcony with it. And the guy came out and said that Booth was a Confederate Secret Service agent, and Amanda had to hold me in my chair to prevent me from standing up and going, uh, no, that's wrong. There's no evidence. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fun to take it to historical places. Now, John would use these meetings to impress his followers into believing that he was a member. As the war continued into 1864, John watched with concern as the Confederacy continued to lose battles. With Confederate manpower short due to the cancellation of the prisoner exchanges, Booth came up with, the, with an idea to kidnap Lincoln and deliver him to Jefferson Davis in Richmond in order to start the exchanges again. 
Now, what Booth did not know that the exchanges had been stopped by Lincoln since the Confederacy refused to acknowledge the United States colored troops as actual soldiers. The Confederate policy for that was either kill African Americans when they were surrendering or capture them and sell them back into slavery. Now, the plan to kidnap Lincoln was simple to Booth. The conspirators would capture Lincoln at a theater, preferably Ford's, since John knew the layout of that theater, escort him out of the building tied up, and take him to Richmond. For this, he gathered John Surratt, George Atzerod, Michael O'Loughlin, Lewis Powell, Samuel Arnold, and David Harold. Surratt was a Confederate courier who knew the routes to avoid Federal troops. With the men in place, they began to finalize their plans. Unfortunately, they never got close to Lincoln. While the men watched Lincoln and knew his routine, they ended up missing Lincoln either by a day or Lincoln changed his plans. The idea of taking Lincoln on his route to the old soldier's home outside of D.C. was a plan. Sometimes Lincoln rode with an armed escort. We're not sure, but Lincoln was shot at while riding to the home. The bullet hit his hat, missing anything you know, vital. Right. It, it was because of this shot that Stanton was like furious going, you need an armed escort with you at all times. And Lincoln's like, I don't need that. Lincoln was re-elected in 1864. Booth had believed that Lincoln would become a tyrant since no president during Booth's lifetime had been re-elected. Because that makes them. Well, they were one-term presidents, but here's the thing. He was born, like, after Andrew Jackson's presidency. Uh -huh. So between Jackson and Lincoln, there was only one-term presidents. Yeah. So, he, you know, he just thought, oh, well, you know, he's going to lose to McClellan, and then we'll get McClellan in office and broker a deal. Yeah. <laughs> it still kind of like shows, like, slightly how dumb he was, too, and True. Like, thinking like, oh, that automatically happens. But okay. At this time, Booth was dating a senator's daughter named Lucy Hale. He managed to get a hold of two tickets to the inauguration. The weather that day was rainy, and it was possible that the inauguration would happen inside. Lincoln had emerged from the Senate chambers and began walking to the platform outside to give his speech. As he made his way through the crowd, Booth charged at Lincoln, being stopped by one of the guards with Lincoln. People thought he was a freshman congressman who was excited to see the president. Yeah. Later, Booth would brag that he could have shot the president if he chose. Well, I guess oh, they weren't close enough to realize it was Booth either. I mean, at that time, it was just Booth the actor. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. Weren't yeah close a lot of, you know, a lot of people didn't know who he was because... The theater was frowned upon. Yeah, I guess. And yeah, but um, next next time we next time you and I take James to uh, Ford's theater, I'm going to point mm -hmm. something out in a picture because mm -hmm. Booth was outside listening to the inauguration, and you have to look closely. But he's in the that famous picture of the second oh, yeah. inauguration. Uh -huh. Yeah, he's uh -huh. in it. Yeah, I'm seeing it. But another thing is when he told this story that he could have killed Lincoln. Mm -hmm. 
he was laying on the exact same bed in the exact same room Lincoln would die in. An actor friend he knew was staying in that room at the Peterson house. And he was in there bragging. It's like, you, oh, you son of a. On April 3rd, 1865, Confederate forces and the government fled Richmond. By this point, Booth was using Surratt Boarding House in Washington as a meeting place. On April 9th, Lee surrendered the Army of Northern Virginia. The citizens in Washington began to celebrate the end of the war. Booth became depressed upon hearing the news. He wandered around D.C. in a daze, still believing that the war could be fought if he could kidnap Lincoln. On April 11th, as the city continued to celebrate, Booth and one of his conspirators had wandered the streets of Washington, joining a crowd outside the White House. Lincoln gave an impromptu speech, including some of his plans for reconstruction. During the speech, Lincoln said he would give the right to vote to those African Americans who fought for the Federal Army. Booth was outraged at this, saying this meant blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Peanuts teacher and citizenship. And there he vowed to kill Lincoln. Wow. And what's nice is that the Surratt House is still standing in D.C. Yeah, it's a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, it's called Walk and Roll. Gotta, gotta love the Chinese people. They come up with some really good names for their for their restaurants. Yeah, but my parents also ate a walk and roll back in like Phoenix in the early nineties too. So it's probably even could be. Yeah, well, I've been wanting to eat at that place in D.C. Maybe my next visit, I can go and say I'm I'm having some egg foo young in a in the place where Booth vowed to kill Lincoln. The opportunity came on April 14th when Booth went to the Ford's Theater to get his mail. Because back then, actors could get have their mail sent to a theater and they'd go pick it up. One of the owners of the theater told Booth that Lincoln would be there that night to see Our American Cousin, a play Booth had performed in. Booth knew the layout of, of the theater and began to set up his plans. After his preparations, Booth met up with his conspirators. He told Mary Surratt to take a package out to the tavern at Surrattsville, while he told Atzerod to kill Vice President, the Vice President, Powell to kill the Secretary of State Seward, and Booth would kill Lincoln. Atzerod did not want to kill Johnson, but you know, Booth kind of forced him into it. They were set to they set the plan to go at 10 p.m. With everyone in place, they were set. Powell managed to get into Seward's place, but because of a carriage accident a few days before, Seward was saved by a metal collar he wore around his neck. Now, I've seen pictures of this collar. It looks like two hubcaps turned, you know, like in upside down with like the bull part sticking up here around his neck. That's a good thing that it saved him, too, because he jumped on the bed and was slashing at him with a knife, which is on display at the at uh, Ford's Theater. Did you ever read Manhunt? I guess that's a stupid yes. question. Though, but that was like one of the books that I wanted to read after I got the Masters. 
like okay. of you know like that I had all the books I was like reading then after like I couldn't read during college because I had to read actual college books. Manhunt was good. Still, yeah, but I still remember the description of that attack. Yeah, it was like so well done. It was, and I if I was writing this for like a history podcast, there'd be more detail about this attack. But yeah. You know, because it's true crime, I kind of shortened it up. Yeah. He, he I mean, that part stayed, like, you know. With... Right. He had forced his way into the house. He beat his, he beat David Seward with his gun, which event, which broke the gun and left the boy, you know, like almost a vegetable. Yeah. He came charging in the Seward room. He jumped on the bed, started slashing. Seward you know, in his frail condition, rolled off the bed in which he thought, okay, I did my job, I'm getting out. Yeah, but then the description of his daughter like slipping around in the blood, that's the yeah, part. Like, yeah. You know, and, and this is one thing I've always wondered. I wonder if that house is still standing in D.C., because I've got a biography of Seward on my shelf. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see if, I, if the address is in there. And I'm going to look it up on a D.C. map. Yeah. Because next time I go to D.C., I kind of want to see the spot where um, Dan Sickles shot Barton Key. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bought a book about it in Gettysburg on my recent trip. So I want to read more about this crazy SOB. Yeah. Okay. Now, because of this attack, Seward received a scar on his chin, and after that day, Seward never, every picture is like a profile. I do have one picture, or I've seen, of him with the scar, and it's like jagged all down his chin. So, he he took a, a pretty mean attack there. Axrod Refused to kill Andrew Johnson, so he stayed in the bar getting drunk. This is the part of me that wishes he would have went through on the uh, on that. But then I don't know who who uh, line of secession was at that point, because if the president and vice president are taken out, I think it go, I think it went to Secretary of State back then. That's why they attacked Seward, because it would have wiped out the first three in secession. But then, you know, Stanton probably would have jumped in and took over and smacked some people around. So at 10 p.m., Booth entered the theater and made his way to Lincoln's theater box. He entered the door and placed a brace he had made earlier in the day, which is on display in the museum. I'll show you next time we're there. He approached Lincoln from behind and pulled out the small pistol he carried. He fired at point-blank rage in the back of Lincoln's head, shouting, Six Semper Tyrannus. Now, Booth began to struggle with Lincoln's guest, Major Rathborn, who suffered dagger slashes to his left arm. And Rathbone and Harris just had a, had a hell of a time afterward. Yeah, I can't believe it. it took me like years and years to find out 
like their whole story then too. It's like, how did I not know this like before? Yeah, they stay well, they were half siblings or step siblings. Yeah. yeah. Or step siblings. They got married. I think they went to Germany and in one night he attacked her with a dagger, mm-hmm. killed her, and then shot himself with a pistol. Yeah, and then spent the rest of his days at a like mental hospital. Right. I, I think what what I should do, um I should look up what happened to everyone associated with this story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of do a, a, a show on it. Where where are they now? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, a lot of these people, like, um, oh, I, I can't think of her name. The, the, there was an actress who they were doing the benefit for that night. She had gotten up into the box, and she had cradled Lincoln's head in her lap. Said, Thank you. Woo! <laughs> I, I I knew the name. I it just couldn't come to me quick enough. But I've seen the, the the pieces of her dress that had Lincoln's blood on it. Mm-hmm. You know, there, so many people involved in this story met an unfortunate end. Yeah. Well, I think I got next week's show. Now, Booth then leapt from the bo- box to the stage. His spur catching on the bunting caused him to fall awkward on the stage, which... Some people think this is where he broke his leg or later on. When he landed on the stage, he brandished his dagger and said, I have avenged the South. And then he ran to the left of the stage to the stage door where his horse was waiting. Booth made his escape from D.C. heading into the Maryland countryside. Along the way, he met up with Harold and rode to Surrattsville. Somewhere along that route, the horse fell, catching his left leg underneath. So this is where, you know, they think this is more appropriate to where he broke his leg. But I was thinking that if he so hopped up on adrenaline when he jumped from the stage, that if he broke his leg there, he wouldn't have felt it either. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't even his whole leg, right? It was just like what, the one it was I, I think it was it I think it was the short bone in the left leg. Yeah. And the, hello, the whole like I think if I had been him and got ready to jump, I've looked down and been like, yeah, I'm good. Just take me now. <laughs> like, and you like, know, like like I said, he he was hopped up on adrenaline. Yeah, I mean that's a uh, every time I've climbed there, it's like that's a really high jump. Uh, 12 feet. Well, it definitely looks higher than. It does. When you see it, when you see it in person, it looks tall, but it was yeah. 12, it was 12 feet. Uh-huh. But if you're, if you're trying to escape somebody and your boot spur gets caught on the bunting, it's going to yeah. throw off your jump. Yeah. And Booth was athletic, and people were like, well, he could have survived that. I'm like, yeah, maybe, yeah. So you by surprise with the catch, you know, it's like, yes. You know. It could have, like, made it worse, like, when the horse fell then, too. Could have. Aggravated it. Right. So after a stop at the tavern to get their supplies, they made their way to the home of Dr. Mud. Mud set the leg while Booth slept. 
Once word of the president's assassination was known, Secretary of War Edwin Stanton took control of the investigation. He called the army and cavalry to search for Booth. The manhunt began. Once Mudd saw the troops in Maryland, he went to his home and told Booth he had to leave. Booth was instructed to go to a home of a Confederate sympathizer. This man had Booth and Harold hide out in the local swamp for seven days, so I bet they smelled good, as he gathered the supplies needed for the rest of the trip. And on top of it, he's nursing a broken leg. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and Several considering times, this is April, so the weather's like really cold at night. The warm and the... Yeah. They were ripe. Several times during the week, Booth saw troops riding on the roads searching for him. During their stay, Booth asked for newspapers. Once he saw that the press called him a coward for shooting a man from behind, he attempted to defend his actions, saying he was Brutus, who slayed a tyrant. Once the week was over, Booth and Harold made their way through several different sympathizers who pointed them on their way. They attempted to cross the... I knew it was going to up. They attempted to cross the Potomac. Potom it's Potomac, right? Potomac. Potomac. I, oh. Twice. Once almost getting caught by a patrolling gunship. Once across, again, they made their way through Confederate sympathizers, attempting to stay ahead of the patrolling Federal Army. By April 20th, they made their way to the Garrett Farm. The family took them in, believing they were just soldiers heading home. On the 21st, a federal patrol came by the farm. Booth was seen to be scared and the family became suspicious. Hey, you're not just a soldier, right? Right. That night, they asked the men to sleep in the tobacco barn. The boys locked the door on from the outside, thinking, well, you know, could be maybe they're horse thieves. Early in the morning, acting on a tip, the patrol arrived at the Garrett farm. The patrol attempted to threaten Mr. Garrett until his sons revealed the men they were looking for were in the barn. He's in there! So again, yeah. Frank, like the actors. Well, yeah, um, I know that where the house used to stand, it's an, like an mm -hmm. open clearing. The house and the barn are gone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they were they had a rope and they were ready to string him up in the tree in the front yard to get yeah. them to talk because uh, there was a con three Confederate soldiers they rode with that pointed them to the Garrett farm. I think one's name was Willie Starr. He was in the next town because he had a girlfriend there that he was visiting. And yeah, yeah. and the the troops busted in on him. I, I hope he was in, in an uncompromising position. But they roughed him up. He's like, yeah, the guys you're looking for, they're, they're back at the Garrett farm. Yeah. So they went there, and they were all set to hang him until one of the boys went, the guys you're looking for are in the barn. And <laughs> the barn they were in was a tobacco bar. So it was it was designed to where, like, the, the slats were, like, zigzag pattern uh -huh. so that the tobacco leaves could dry out. And and also some family, some local families were storing furniture in there. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, because they yeah. didn't they didn't want their house. Hope they had it renders 
Well, I, I don't think it was the, the, the right season to be uh, harvesting the tobacco, but. You yeah, know, but that's what more, I mean. So if they had renter's insurance, right? Was there such a thing back then? No, there wasn't. So you're thinking, well, hey, we got guys coming back. They could take our stuff. We're going to store it over here in the Garrett barn. I bet there was a lot of people after afterward going, son of a... Mm-hmm. A standoff began. Booth refused to be taken alive, but the patrol wanted him alive. So that was a problem. During the standoff, Harold surrendered to the patrol, sparing his life. But for how long? The soldiers then set fire to the barn, hoping the smoke would draw Booth out. He still refused to surrender. Troops were stationed around the barn, peering in from the slats. As the troops began to open the doors, one soldier, Boston Corbett, fired into the barn, hitting Booth in the neck. The bullet severed the sp his spinal cord, making him paralyzed from the neck down. The troops came in and took Booth to the porch of the Garrett farm, where he died at 6.45 on April 26, 1865. Because then... Like Boston said, God told me to shoot the gun. Yeah. I, oh, now that I think about it, I got a book on Boston Corbett. We should cover him too, because he was a fucking nut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh he made himself a eunuch to prevent manly urges from happening. Except for the manly urges to shoot somebody. Well, and the thing the thing is, is he, he he took a pair of scissors and cut them off. Uh-huh. Did like, it work? Apparently. Be, well, oh, and the thing is, is, is his story, is, I mean, his story is unique because at one point he was in a, a mental asylum in Kansas and escaped. And there was a he was living in a house and then there was a fire, but there was no body, so they don't know what happened to him. Uh-huh. He could have just like disappeared. Yeah. But, but it's also kind of partially like him thinking. Yeah. When people talk about this later, who are they gonna remember? The names of the guys that were standing around or the name of the guy that shot them. And his shot was, yeah. I mean, that was a one in a million shot to go through the neck. Yeah. Sever the spinal cord as it's going through the neck. Yeah. I, I couldn't do, I can't even do that on a video game. Uh-huh. And he did it with one of them old 1865 pistols. But what was another, oh, um. I know when we went, we didn't go over to the uh, to the Peterson home and see the museum there. No. But um, in the building next door to the Peterson house, up on like the fourth floor, there's a, a museum about the escape. Uh -huh. And once you get to the end of that, there's like a, a little makeup of the barn. And yeah. you can peek in the door and there's a a dummy of John Wilkes Booth with the rifle and the crutch. Yeah. So you kind of get like Boston Corbett's look at the situation. Uh -huh. And there's a recording in there that is Booth and the, uh, I think it was Doherty 
was in charge of the Calvary. Those two talking back and forth, trying to get trying to get John to surrender. He's like, you're never gonna take me alive. I wanted to stick in a, a recorder and get that dialogue. Awesome. And use it in a movie, but I've never been able to get the full yeah. whole thing. Yeah. But that was our first successful presidential assassin. It would, take, it would take two more presidents dying before the government decided maybe we should protect these guys. And then they still couldn't <laughs> completely well, do it. Well, I mean, Garfield, who knows what he could have accomplished. Yeah. Um, McKinley was going into his second term. Mm-hmm. And then we get Teddy. Teddy, who, you know, giving a speech, a guy shoots him. It's dead. The bullet goes through like this folded up speech he has in his pocket, still goes into his chest. Teddy's bleeding and still gives the speech. Mm -hmm. I think a, a Supreme Court justice said when Teddy, Ken, Teddy Roosevelt died that he died in his sleep. He goes, that was the only way death could sneak up on him. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm sure Teddy would have wrestled death. Yeah. But we are going to wrap this up, folks. You know where to find us. Spotify. Um, oh, got it. iTunes. Uh, join us on Facebook. And for Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs, I'm Scotty J. Say goodnight, Monica. Goodnight, Monica. <laughs>